Hey, 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 guys, it is Allison. I am the host of your show, Allison Answers Mission Awake. I cannot wait to sit down with you today and go over how we are going to crush the mediocrity in your life that has been plaguing our society since the beginning of time. I cannot wait to have a real deal conversation that includes intelligence, fun, excitement, and real actionable steps to make a real difference in the life that you're living now and making it into something you can be damn proud of and excited to live. Sit down, put on your damn seatbelt, and get ready for the ride of your life. Hey guys, how are you? I want to use this time to just share a little bit about Rick Baker. He is really a man among men. He has uh, gone through overcoming PTSD, drug and alcohol addiction. Um, he's created incredible to incredible businesses for supporting vets and creating um, monuments for those lost in battle. He's just a man who really understands quantum physics and how to overcome things with imagination and thought. Um, he's someone really to listen to. His story, if you listen between the lines and you hear what he's saying, remember that as you're listening to this, this is a man who's overcome all of these things. And to understand that is... Um, Please understand if you have anyone who's been addicted to drugs or alcohol, anyone who's been in the military, who's witnessed really tragic things, anyone who needs to be encouraged and know that there's always a solution, Rick is the man to listen to. Hey, 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 guys, how are you today? It is Allison from Allison Answers and Logger Counseling Services. I have a man on today who you've heard about in his the biography that I shared with you, but you're going to hear straight from his mouth everything that he's been through and what he's overcome. And prior to, you know, recording, I was just very, very moved by Rick Baker because he is a man among men. And um, when he was speaking, uh, he made me cry uh, <laughs> because Sorry. of... No, it's good because what that means is, is that you moved my heart to the depth of what's really happening on earth and the, you know, all the different things that you've gone through and overcome are meant to create like healing and help and greatness for so many people. So what I'd like you guys to do, whoever's listening is to please, um, you know, hone in and really listen, listen uh, to the subtext, listen between the lines as, as Rick talks about uh, the things that he's overcome and how no matter how far down you've gone, there's always a way out. There's always a solution. And you may not have found it yet, but it's always there. And sometimes with a problem, there's multiple solutions. So don't throw out the first solution because sometimes it's multiple. I don't know why I said it. Somebody probably meant to hear that. But without any further ado, it's I'd true. Like to just, isn't it true? Right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, my new fast friend, <laughs> Rick BFS. Baker from Billings, Montana, which is uh, the most beautiful place I think in the world is Montana. So my heart is there. So Rick. Yes, ma'am. Would you, and I love that you call me ma'am. So cool. <laughs> Military dude. So Rick, would you share the way that you shared with me prior to recording, just where you came from and where you are now and all these things that you've overcome. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So my name's Rick Baker. I am the owner of Metal Tech LLC, and I am also the founder of a nonprofit called Hoodies for Heroes. A little synopsis uh, about my background and my history. Uh, I grew up in Montana, uh, was very active in athletics, uh, always made friends really easily, stuff like that, excelled in sports, uh, and then I got into about my freshman year, and after wrestling season, um, I took third that year as a freshman, I uh, of course you decided did. to go. I decided to go out and start partying. 
uh, we started, I mean, I did experimented a little bit previous, but we, I started hitting it hard at the end of that wrestling season. So I started binge drinking on the weekends. Uh, I was always preoccupied, uh, with when I'm going to get my next bag of cannabis or, or I started experimenting with mushrooms, LSD, um, all these things in high school. And as I was doing this, I lost interest in what used to drive me. The wrestling took a backseat. The sports took a backseat. The extra work in the gym, even at home, obviously. Um, So I was starting to struggle. My mom, who is a psychotherapist, uh, she, uh, yeah, so she is a psychotherapist. She's got her own private practice. She had just started working for a place, ironically, which I told you about earlier, Tumbleweed. Uh, It was a rumbleweed program. She started her internship there and started going to college in her like late mid thirties. And she realized I was at a crossroads, right? We all, we all come at a crossroads in our life. Uh, Not just one, but several, right? So in one hand, essentially I have the world by the balls. And in the other hand, the world has me by the balls. Which way am I going to go? So I decided, you know, I'm done with wrestling. I'm done with high school. I decided to go to Job Corps. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's like a forced service program. They treat you different trades. You live on site. It's actually a really cool program. George Foreman, ironically, went to Job Corps, if you didn't know. <laughs> Did he? <laughs> yeah. With the Fun Foreman fact. grill? With the Foreman grill, you could say, you could technically Did he say learn to grill that? Job Corps, you know, inspired the George Foreman grill. It did. That's amazing. Right? <laughs> it's all perspective. Yes. yes. So I go, I finish my junior year. I don't take that summer off. I decide to go straight to Job Corps for welding. I go up there. I become a certified welder. I get my high school diploma. About two months before graduation, uh, a little more on Job Corps, it tends to be the kids, the Hellraisers, or the people who don't are trying to find direction in their lives, the program. So about two months before graduation, I'm introduced to methamphetamines up there. Being in Montana in a rural community, uh, methamphetamines was really, really big in late and early 2000s with all the feedlots and the anhydrous and stuff around. So I get introduced to methamphetamine there. We start doing it. I mean, of course, we take it to the next level. We're literally smoking and welding class, doing all this sh- shit that I shouldn't be doing. But I don't get caught. Uh, graduate and I got a job offer over in Casper, Wyoming. Uh, so I went over to Casper. Uh, I was in Casper for a year welding on, uh, the rigs at the refineries, uh, stuff like that. Uh, but in that job field comes long hours, roughnecks, and typically partying and drugs. So from the time I leave, <laughs> Okay. Job Corps, I never really stopped. I just kept using methamphetamine for that year. Um, And then it got so bad that I realized I was going to end up either incarcerated or dead. So I decided, you know, um, I'm going to come back home to Montana. I'm going to join the military. I come back home. My mom wouldn't even let me in the house because she knew I was running amok. Um, so I'm here, I'm sleeping in my car, uh, couch surfing with friends, sign a five-year contract with the United States army to go infantry. So I take all this ASVAB testing and stuff. And they're like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to be infantry. They're like, no, you scored really good on your ASVAB. Like you could fly drones. You could do all these things. What do you want to do? And I'm like, uh, I want to be infantry. <laughs> I like blowing shit up and I like hunting <laughs> and fishing. Like I'm a Montana country boy. Like that's what I'm about. That's what I enjoy. 
So I sign up for infantry. Um, I'm in basic training at Fort Bend in Georgia, where all infantry goes. And we're about halfway through our training and a guy comes in and pulls, there's like 250 of us in this training. And a guy pulls out four of us. I was one of the four. And he says, you need to go talk to the recruiter. I'm like, recruiter? I've already been recruited. Like I've signed the paperwork. He's like, no, this is a different, a special one. So the recruiter comes in. It was for the old guard in Washington, D.C. It's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, Mm -hmm. uh, the United States drill team. They do all the active duty funerals and presidential inaugurations in the military district of Washington. So um, I'm like, ceremonies? That doesn't sound fun at all. Like That's not you like know, hunting and fishing and blowing shit up. Exactly. That yes. was exactly my thought. Was God saving but, your life and protecting you? Uh, he could have been. But, you know, then I got another sign. It was, okay, we do all this uniform and stuff. Mind you, I'm 18 years old at this time. So, like, I'm young. And the recruiter's like, bro, you don't understand. Right next to Arlington is Georgetown University. Right up the road from that is George Washington University. Then you have the University of Maryland, University of uh, Fairfax, George Mason. And he goes on. He's like, the nightlife is crazy. (laughs) The women, the women to men ratio is like (laughs) six to one over there, bro. And I'm like, well. Sign me up. <laughs> Boom. Done. <laughs> so that's actually See what, what draws made the, the man. Yeah, I'm not I'm not even gonna lie, especially yeah, at I that age. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, come to find out you have to be a certain height, you have to have a certain GT score and background clearance, because obviously the high profile people you're around. So I switch from going to a hardcore infantry unit, uh, 10th Mountain Division in Fort Drum, New York, to Washington, D.C. and ceremonies. <laughs> so, like, polar opposites of the spectrum. Did you there, bring right? that? No, I'm, I'm actually being good at this okay. point. You want to know, I'm going to tell you guys a dark, deep secret. Not Let's really go. darker, that deep. But we'll get real, though. Just so only tell a few is, close friends. That's it. Right? Yeah. Uh, this is weird. <laughs> so <laughs> I had buddies in Job Corps, right? Job Corps is in this town called Butte, uh, the MEP station where you fly out in Billing or out of Montana. So I, since I went to Job Corps there, I knew some kids from Job Corps that lived in Butte. Well, this is how a court, I want to take it to the end. Typical attic behavior, right? Yeah. I get a hold of him the night before I leave. We go out and do meth all night long. I don't go to sleep. And then I get on the plane to go to Fort Benning, Georgia. Because I wanted, like, in my mind, I'm going to get that last high. You know, I'm going to take it to the, uh, as far as I can go. And I'm sitting there, and I'll fucking never forget this, because I'm sitting there on the plane, like, I'm spun out. And there's all these people around me and I'm just like, what, where am I going? What the hell did I get myself into? Yeah. Uh, which would all be normal thoughts, but then you add the drugs on top of it. Then it's like compounded. So it was uh, not a real fun uh, no. first couple of days, but we got through it and I got moved to my duty station over in Washington, DC. Uh, I became part of the casket team. So we actually carry the caskets. We fold the flag, present the flag to the uh, family. Uh, we also did uh, General Shinseki's retirement, President Bush's uh, inauguration. I was part of that. So I'm doing all these uniform things, and it's like everything has to be so precise. Like if you look at the movements of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and stuff, like if everything's crisp and on point, yes. that's how it is across the whole, that whole unit. So I, I'm hating it because I'm a country boy. Like I said, I really wanted to blow shit up. Uh, 
and I'm hating life and I'm plotting how to get out of the military. Like I'm looking up regulations. Like I'm like, this is not what I fucking signed up for. Thank the good Lord above. This is going to sound weird, but I got deployed. So our unit hadn't been deployed since Vietnam. Might I say one thing? Yes, ma'am. You're going to remember exactly where you are because it's very important where Mm -hmm. you are. Yep. I just want to say, because I can't help it. I feel like, and I know you know this, that as you were moving through the course of your life, you know that you were there for a reason. And you probably already know the reason, but me as an onlooker and outside observer, when I hear it, because I was on the other side of the person who's doing the precise flag folding and how painful Mm -hmm. it is. And I'm going to cry saying it, but the man looking in uh, my stepson's eyes while he was handing him the flag, the man stared in his eyes with so much love and so much compassion and their dignity, the way they carried themselves. And like the, it was so painful, but it was so beautiful. And you got to be a part of something very, very special of people's lives. So I just really want to say like, and it's not a coincidence we're together. Mm. That is, that was such an unbelievable experience. And the kindness of those men who just, they did everything perfectly, like it turned exactly like you were doing everything just right. But underneath all of that perfection was this like love and this compassion that was just pouring out of them. And you were this mm-hmm. young man in that role. Yes. And I, yes. don't, I don't know why a guy who wants to just go blow shit up is put there for, a, I'm sure, a very beautiful reason. You know, it's interesting. And then that aligns actually perfectly where what I was at, where I was at, actually, because yeah. at the time I didn't know. Like, all I knew is I hated life. I had respect for what I was doing. Yeah. Of course, uh, professionalism, all that stuff. However, I didn't know at that time until after I got deployed. So we hadn't been deployed since Vietnam, our unit. And as I'm plotting on how to get out of this, we get orders. One company is going on deployment to relieve the 10th Mountain Division. And it happened to be my company. So I get orders to go over to a place called Djibouti. And yes, that's a real place. <laughs> I was like, everyone, everyone, uh, when, when Listen, the rumors I don't know if were guy, going Let me just around. get off this podcast. Djibouti. <laughs> De Djibouti. <laughs> Djibouti. People think I make it up. I'm like, no, it's, it's, that's it's where a real you went. place. Okay. Yep. Right on the Horn of Africa in the Gulf of Aden. Wow. Yeah. So what the rumors were going around and I'm like, where are we going? And I thought it was an inside joke because they're like Djibouti. And I thought like, you know, Djibouti, (laughs) but no, it turns out there's actually a country there. So I go over to the Horn of Africa. I'm all around Djibouti, Somalia, Ethiopia, Kenya. Um, We're doing force protection missions for civil affairs, special forces, uh, quick reaction force. We're training the Ethiopian army because they're in a tribal war against Somalia, you know, all these things. uh, And this is what I signed up for. Like, so I got this re-energized aura of like, okay, yes, I enjoy this. This is cool. I felt the brotherhood, the connection. We had that stuff before, but it means way more when you're overseas, putting your lives in one another's hands. Right. Mm-hmm. Through the training, through the missions, you know, obviously it's a bond that uh, never, never goes away. Yeah. So I'm over there, you know, we do all kinds of missions. Uh, I'm able to cope and deal with our missions, uh, casualties uh, as far as like combatants and stuff like that. Um, however, there are some sides of war and things that happen that you are not prepared to deal with or cope with. Um, one of those for me, which I just recently told this story at a motivational, uh, speaking, I haven't really told too many people, but we're going to let her out 
without being vulnerable is being real, yeah. right? Yeah. So um, I'm at, and this is, and I think this is essentially where most of my addiction and bad decisions and coping stem from, which is why I'm going to speak on it. Um, so we're not even on a mission. We are on a firing range after coming back from missions a couple days later to make sure our rifles are still zeroed and everything's on point. Well, this particular day, we also have the MPs out there at a range. I want you guys to visualize this. You're out in the middle of Africa, the you know desert region. So our ranges were, we just set them up on the backside of a hill in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Well, when we would shoot, the Jibushans and Somalis would come over and they would collect up all our brass, all our expended uh, casings, cartridges. And they would take them to town and melt them and sell them uh-huh. for their uh, money. So they'd all be standing around waiting for us to be done so they could collect and go get paid, right? Um, well, the MPs were out there. They were using hand grenades, the 50 cal. Uh, even the Mark 19 grenade launcher was on the range that day. And I'm one of the drivers. I'm like a E3, a private first class at this time. And I'm an LMTV driver, which is essentially the Humvees and the bigger trucks. So I'd already done a couple loads, dropping troops back off at the, uh, rear. And I'm back on my last load. Well, I'm walking around waiting for all the range guys and the sergeants and stuff to get done. And I'm walking back to my vehicle and I see a four-year-old and a seven-year-old had been brothers. Um, they were playing catch, right? And like something didn't like out of the corner of my eye, something didn't look right or seem right. So, uh, I like stop, take a look. Well, they're playing catch with the grenade casing, but um, obviously, so I stop and think, I'm like, well, that's fucking not right. Uh, But then my second thought is, okay, we've expended everything. The the, The range has been cleared. We're good, right? So I take like, I don't know, another eight to 10 steps. And then, boom, uh, I hear the grenade go off, fragmentation grenade go off. Um, So for me, I guess the part of me that feels or felt responsible for intervening at that time because I had that gut intuition, but I just kept going on about my business. And that was hard for me to deal with and cope with. So we finish our deployment. I come back home and now I'm back in Washington, DC. I get promoted to specialist. I get moved to the uh, fold man, just as you were speaking, the one who hands it off. And I have a whole new appreciation for what I'm doing, right? Because I've went over and served combat. And now when I come home and I'm doing an active duty funeral, not that it didn't mean anything before, but it's at a whole new level now, right? Because yes. um, I've been there, I've experienced it. Um, so I have like a whole new thing. Uh, everything's going really good. When I'm back in the rears, uh, part of being an infantryman, we blow shit up, we drink. And we chase women. We are, we, that's what we joke, <laughs> you know? I didn't expect uh, to hear that. I was emotionally uh, <laughs> drawn into this thing. You're like, yeah, and we, we drink and we blow it up. That's, Thanks for that's changing. That's what we joke that with. changed my whole mood. I feel just a little better. I'm hey, not sure good. why. I mean, I don't, I don't think I, I should feel better, but you it know, helped. I don't want you to stay down here the whole time. I <laughs> no, want you to thank like you. this. Thank you. We're going on a <laughs> ride can't... now. We, okay, we so he's out there partying and blowing shit up and womanizing. Let's go. And chasing women. Do you remember <laughs> okay. why I went to DC, right? I got it. Yeah. The girls. <laughs> the girls. <laughs> it's my weakness. I got you. Go ahead. <laughs> so um 
we're I'm continuing to binge drink, but I keep it within reason. On as in perspective, I don't let it interfere with my work. So I am still binge drinking. Uh, but then I start getting into the gym uh, and working out because I'm having this reoccurring nightmare of these kids getting blown up. Um, May I ask you a question? To, I just yes, want to ask you with that binge drinking. Would you mm-hmm. uh, would you associate that? I see you pulling on the vape thing there, buddy. Yeah. Okay. You didn't see that. Been, <laughs> if I could shake your shoulders right now, I'd be doing that shit. But I can't. Mm-hmm. All right. So anyhow, the um the binge drinking right there, right? Mm-hmm. You you would you associate that with the trauma? I mean, I know you were partying before, yes. but you know, was it oh, shutting yeah. it down? It was were you trying to shut it down? I didn't want to interrupt, yes. but no, I'm a therapist. I gotta get in that shit there. No, it was mm-hmm. absolutely a coping tool, coping yeah. mechanism. Obviously not a healthy one, but it allowed me to shut my brain, quiet my brain down. And it would allow me not to really go to sleep because I wasn't really getting good quality sleep, but it would yeah. allow me to black out yeah, uh, and get there, which was yeah. tough for me. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That's actually, and I w- had enough self-awareness to realize it. And that's actually what got me into the gym uh, on base. So I start working out pretty heavily. Yeah. Uh trying to essentially grasp at a healthy coping mechanism. Yeah. And I start talking to the guy in the gym who runs it. And he tells me about this program in the army called the world-class athlete program. So the army has boxers and all this stuff. And that's what their job is. If you can compete at essentially Olympic and collegiate level, then if you make the team, that will be your job. So I apply for it, send them a highlight tape from high school. And to my surprise, they're like, dude, we want you to come try out. So I go to my commander who was also like an ex-athlete. And he's like, bro, I've never even seen this. Go do it. And I'm like, okay. So I fly over to Fort Carson, Colorado. Um, where the Olympic training center is, where they do like high altitude training and stuff like that. And I try out for the all army wrestling program. Well, I make the backup guy in my weight class. So two weeks after that, I tear my shoulder out in practice. I'm hitting a switch. He holds on to it, tear it out. So then I obviously have to go get surgery. So they fly me back, Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. Examine my shoulder. Yeah, you're screwed. We're going to have to reconstruct the whole thing. Well, at this time, obviously, we have Iraq going on. Afghanistan starting to kick off. So we have all these guys coming back from overseas with injuries that take precedence. So my shoulder is dislocating five, six, seven times a day, waiting eight months for my surgery date. Well, obviously, with that comes pain. So the army's cure all for everything, and I'm sure you know this because of your husband, uh, is ibuprofen 800. So they start you off with ibuprofen 800. Uh, you got a headache? Ibuprofen 800. You got a STD? Ibuprofen 800. You whatever. You need to go to sleep? Ibuprofen 800. <laughs> That's how the army rolls. So when the ibuprofen 800 wasn't doing it, they prescribed me oxycodone. Now, I start taking it. The irony of this, all through high school, I used to make fun of my friend who was into pills. I'm like, that's because I put myself up on a pedestal, essentially. Oh, I would never do heroin. I would never do a needle IV use. uh, And I don't do pills. That's the lowest form of the junkie. I only do, like, you know, like I'm doing something different, even though it's the same. Uh, but, yeah. but so I start getting taking these pills and at first, uh, they're making me nauseous. They make me sleepy. I do not like the effects, but I'm in so much pain. I, I have to take them. And so over that eight months of waiting for surgery, my doses increase, my tolerance starts increase. 
But more importantly, something switched. It went from nauseous, drowsy, tired to, oh, shit, I got energy. Oh, shit. I'm not thinking about those kids being blown up. Yeah. Oh, shit. I'm able to get sleep. Oh, shit. Nothing bothers me. So I start overachieving. So I'm back waiting for my surgery. They're like, well, you're only a specialist, but you're about to be eligible to fast track to sergeant. So since you're injured, I couldn't carry the casket and fold because I don't have a shoulder anymore. Right. Uh, so they say, we want to put you as a nuclear, biological, and chemical officer, non-commissioned officer in charge. So what that is, is a fancy way of saying all the gas masks, testing them, making sure they're uh, operational, all the gears, uh, procedures. like a rocket scientist or something. No. Uh-uh. Oh, my like, goodness. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Although, you wouldn't believe the math figuring out blast radius for like radiation so i had to learn all that on top of my infantry stuff Mm -hmm. um but i i did so well at it and obviously i had energy from the pill so i'm overachieving i'm there early i'm staying late i'm high as a kite to put it in layman terms but i'm organizing everything i redo the whole nbc room uh like rewrite some of the procedures, update them. And then I start getting awards. I get an army achievement medal. I get an army accommodation medal for being a vital part of the nuclear biological and chemical preventative plan for the military district of Washington. I get promoted to Sergeant. Usually it's E six, which is a staff Sergeant in that position, but I started it as a specialist. And then, uh, got my sergeant so i'm doing all that trying to heal still taking my pills um about a year goes by and they're like rick you we want you to come over and become an officer and i was like i don't want to be an officer i don't want to be a desk guy um they're like well then you're gonna have to switch jobs why don't you do mbc and we'll keep you where you're at i was like well I don't, that isn't what I signed up for. I was miserable before when I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. So no, they're like, okay, well, we'll give you an honorable medical discharge with 80% retirement. So I'm continuing to binge drink through that time on the weekends. I still have my Percocet. Towards the end, I I start doing ecstasy in Washington, D.C. I start doing cocaine the last six months of my military career. um, I start getting into heavy drugs. So I get medical discharge, come back home, go to the VA, uh, get established with them. They hook me up with a stronger prescription Oxycontin. And this time I just have to go on the computer and click the little boxes and they refill and they come to my doorstep in the mail. Uh, Mind you, I'm at 360 Oxycontin 30s a month. I get 360. Oh, my God. Yes. On top of uh, now they're prescribing me benzodiazepine, uh, clozapam, and Xanax to go along with it. So. Obviously, I'm addicted. I don't even I'm know. Curious I'm who's doing that psychiatry? Right, it's not like that's what I want to stop. Well, it's interesting because they'd rather say, "Oh, it's easier for them to say here, go take this pill," than it is yeah. to actually teach you the coping skills and put in yes. the time and effort it yes. takes. Yeah, uh, and that's, in my opinion, the problem with this whole society. It's that instant gratification. Uh, you know, it's that instant fix. There is not an instant fix for anything. There's hard work, there's dedication, and there's drive. And you know what else? You You know what what else, Rick? It's Mm. it's just knowing the truth. Like, because the truth was not being told and you were not able to get to the truth because the truth was too scary to feel. So it's like, it's just like, 
the truth is the pathway to all freedom. Everything. You're absolutely right because yeah. I wasn't able or ready to deal and yeah. face any of that. Right. So when I come back home to Billings, I'm a freaking wreck. Yeah. I'm partying. Uh, I'm getting all these oxies. I start selling them because I'm running out early and I'm traveler. I float some to my friend, like all this stuff. I also continue my cocaine use. I get back home. I'm starting to sell pounds and pounds upon cocaine. Um, just out running amok. Uh, I got caught up in like DUIs, stuff like that. Uh, but I've always been able to get out of it or at least get a slap on the wrist because I'm fairly intelligent. I'm able to articulate and that has gotten me out of a lot of trouble. So I have a running prescription for eight years uh, straight, no break, Oxycontin, benzodiazepines, muscle relaxers, the whole nine yards. Finally, at like year six and seven, I start wrecking my vehicle into shit. I start changing. This is how out of my mind I was. I changed a one to a four on a prescription pad inside a Walmart. And then turned in the prescription pad thinking they weren't going to know. And then I sat there for an hour and a half and kept checking in with them. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's almost done. And didn't realize that the cop was on his way. Like, that's how tunnel visioned I was into my opioid addiction. I mean, there's nothing, nothing quite like it, unfortunately. So I pick up a, a fraudulently obtained and dangerous drugs charge at this time you know, or actually right before, no, I picked up fraudulently obtained and dangerous drugs. Then I get accepted to veterans treatment court. And that was a really cool thing. They were going to dismiss all my charges because of my good service record. And all these were, I'd never been in trouble. I'd done a lot of dirt, but I'd never gotten caught. Mm -hmm. So I had no charges up until I was 33. I'd never been in trouble, but then I got all these within such a short period of time. Uh, DUI, fraudulently obtained, and dangerous drugs. You always get blah, handed blah, blah. the bill. Nothing's yeah. free. The devil's no. going to hand you that bill at some point. Yes, right? and he sure did. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so then I end up getting kicked out of Veterans Treatment Court because I'm trying to freaking work the system and stay high and all this stuff. Well, they're like, all right, you're done. Go to sentencing. I get sentenced uh five years but i'm only supposed to go do this treatment for six months and come back home well so i get locked up i'm in county jail in billings montana for nine months wait in for that treatment slot to get transported i finally get it um i get moved over to it's an inpatient program uh that is super intense and i'm in it for about a month and a guy officer comes and pulls me out and says you can't be here you're not eligible to be here and i'm like i don't even know what that means because i'm sentenced there and i'm i'm supposed to go home in four months after i finish the rest of this well apparently they had messed up on my sentencing and instead of saying uh concurrent they said consecutive, Ugh. which aligned my made a total different sentence. Watch your words, so, people. <laughs> yes. Just... Well, you're absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And you are what your words I believe and thoughts that. are. I absolutely. Oh, we could go like, oh, we could do four podcasts <laughs> on that. Shit. We could do a new book podcast. Oh, my God. You that. have no idea. I'm dying to talk about semantics. Power. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It is. Super that I'm I'm super big into that and imagery. Me too. Uh, oh yeah, it's it's very very key yes. uh, to centering, finding yourself, and your mm-hmm. drive, purpose, all that. Yes, um, impeccable with your words. They cast hey, words you. create what the four agreements, yes. right? You know that. Book? Yes, yes, I do. Yes, that's why I try to be very careful with what uh, I say, essentially. 
I got to say one thing, even though it has nothing to do with the consecutive and the Go um, for it. whatever the board, <laughs> but I just read that a sound, a sound wave, which I know that they never end, but a sound wave, I don't know how they studied this, but that coming out from someone's mouth can be found all the way at the edge of the universe that we understand in like this corner of a star. That's that, unreal. Yes. That sound, that wave is so much more powerful. Wave is so much more real than particle. And we are constantly relying on matter, physical objects, and what we see. And we're we're mm-hmm. so mis we're so misinformed that I think it's I honestly, you know, think it's being held from us all that real information, the power that we actually yes. have inside of us. I think Oh, oh yes. God, if anything happens to me, you know the reason why that I'm saying this <laughs> now today. I'm right. I feel like it's a freaking scam. We're lied to. Oh well, it okay. is like well, we and they, they don't want they don't want you to be able to fix no. yourself. They don't want you to be able to think for yourself outside the box. They want to keep you in this box as workers. Outwitting uh, the it's devil. only Yes, it's only when you get outside of it. I do know the book. I haven't read it, but I've heard You have to. Oh, I know. Rick, now you have to read it because he talks about how the biggest, the biggest evil trap is having people not think for themselves. That when people think for themselves, they can create anything. Yes. And that is absolutely, absolutely true. Back before to I move time. on to co- <laughs> wait, before I move on to concurrent <laughs> and consecutive, yeah, I just read a study. Uh, so they asked, it was like three different groups to shoot free throws. They each got like it was like thirty minutes or an hour. Yeah. The first group uh, did no practice, did no nothing, and they went and shot the free throws. Right, the second group got to practice shooting free throws for that half an hour and shot. They did a little bit better than the people who did nothing, right? Yeah. The third group sat there and imagined shooting free throws for 30 minutes. Just sat there and imagined it in their mind. They go out and shoot the free throws. Yes. Their group outperformed the other two. You bet your badass they did because imagination is power. Yes. And when you put yourself there in your mind, that subconscious, that even that conscious mind, that's what you're going to gravitate towards. Yes. I always tell people, especially in the imagery, the key to that, uh, really get in on the details. Hey, if you want a cabin in Montana, in Kalispell, I want you to visualize pulling up to that driveway. I want you to, what shrubs are you having on the out front of your house? When you walk in, what is it decorated like? What art do you have on the walls? Decorate your kitchen, decorate your bedroom. Do that in your mind and your body and everything else will follow through with it. Do you know that I have an imagery that I do all the time and I just keep building on it? I wake up in this bedroom and it has this big balcony outside of it. And I just, and it's this like bedroom with this really comfortable bed and everything. And I get up and there's like coffee outside for me. I look out and there's a beach. And then I just picture myself. Then I see myself walking down and I do this whole thing. And then I built onto this house a, a gym. Awesome. Then I built, uh, I see myself walking on my hands. Cause I figure that's really physically fit. Like you walk on your free right. hands on the beach. So I'm like, so I picture myself walking physically fit in a bikini. That sounds weird, but you know, like that is no, what I am. It's not weird to look really good and doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you can do that, right. you look good doing that. You know, that's a good image. Right. And just, just, right. I just keep tumbling like more and more ideas, like as if I'm living it in the moment. You are living it. Yes, I am. I'm You're creating already, that. That's yes. the key. Yes, yes. You are living it. Yes. And that's what people don't know. Once you put it in here, you're you're freaking on your way to living it. You're, yes. you're living it right yes. then. You yes. just are got to figure out the signs and way to route that. Okay. I got to um, listen okay. to this shit. All right. Okay. We're trailing, but this. That's this okay. Is what I know Abraham where we're at. Hitchell. Still. 
Yeah. Good. Because you lived it. Abraham Hicks says this thing. I just, I repeat this all the time. Um, There is a stream of well-being that flows. I can allow it or I can resist it. Nonetheless, it flows. Wow. So it's like there's always this stream of wellness, you know, the quantum field, like mm-hmm. the river of life, like it's always there. Right. We can join it. So when we're creating in our mind and we just let it go and lean back in it, just knowing it's there because it is here. It's already here. Mm-hmm. Everything's here. We don't have to go searching and getting and working and trying to get. I'm not saying we shouldn't work hard. I'm a right. I believe in drive right. and working. So yeah, never. I'm never. I'm talk, not talking about fluff, but those things because then you work right. just naturally toward it, and work is never hard then, because right. you're you're in a stream of well being without oxy, and, right? <laughs> Oxys because you have yes. so much energy to do shit. Right. Without, you don't need drugs. You don't need anything. All you need is that high level, high vibe energy. Oh shit, we're going. We have to just keep talking. We have to talk about this in another podcast. We're doing that. We we will do. We're gonna have to make another podcast. We are now that we're we are now that we're BFFs. Yes, we are. Um, That's it. Yeah, I could I can talk about that stuff all day long. We will. And it's uh, you know, I mentioned it earlier, and I'll say it real quick before we get back on track, but. Like, you know, how, what a weight that is lifted off your shoulders once you try to give up essentially that control. That doesn't mean giving up on your goals or whatever. That means just giving up the control and the fear of, well, if I go out on my own, it might not work. Uh, People will laugh at me. What if my business fails? You know, all of these things, these limited beliefs that you're putting out there, it's just going to kill you. If you have one foot in the future and one foot in the past, you're pissing on today. Anything that is anxiety driven is typically living in the future. You're worrying about the future. All these people, including myself, it's human nature, 90% of the stuff we worry and focus on never freaking happens. Only in our mind. Like we're worried, oh, only in our mind. We work it up in here. So it is such a weight off of your shoulders. If you're depressed and you're feeling down, that just means you're freaking dwelling on the past. Mm -hmm. You can't be at both places at once. If you just trust the process, focus, and be present, whatever you're imagining, and putting your energy and thoughts in your brain, that's what's going to happen. I did a quick, actually real this morning. Think about this real quick. We have 24 hours in a day, right? The typical person works six to eight hours in a day, right? So there's your uh, work day. Then typical person sleeps six to eight hours. That's we're up to 16 hours out of the 24. Then you got breakfast, lunch, and dinner in there. Plus you figure take an hour to get ready for work or whatever. We're at 20 hours out of 24. You have four hours left. Four. Whatever you're focusing those four hours on, Make sure it's worth it because you only got four. Yes. And that's how important it is to challenge your thoughts and what you're putting in your brain. Like you said, those positive vibes, those positive energy, uh, using that four hours on self-development, uh, uh-huh. business relationships, uh, even physical fitness. Yeah. Um, if you do that, Everything else will come together. So I did, got pulled out. I went to Montana State Prison. I had to wait for the judge to re-sentence me on video chat. So we did that. Uh, I go back to treatment. This time, for the second time, I'm halfway through my program, feeling good, doing awesome. I get pulled out again. 
when they resentenced me the second time, they messed up a different part of the sentencing. So I got pulled out for the second time, had to go back to Montana State Prison. How long? Sat there eight months this time, came back to the treatment center for the third time and finished my program and came home. At the time, I thought it was the worst thing in the world. But had I just done the six months and gotten out, I would have went back to what I was doing before. I needed that. I needed that uh, prison time. It was actually a blessing in disguise. Um, so then I come home. I want to help other combat veterans. Uh, so I start my degree in psychiatric rehabilitation. I'm on the dean's list. I'm working at that same tumbleweed runaway program that my mom started her internship. I'm doing drop-in center, uh, addiction classes, cognitive processing and restructuring, uh, thinking for change, thinking errors, all that stuff. So I'm going to school full-time for that, working in tumbleweed. And between all that and my own PTSD and anxiety, I never got a break from it. So I decided to take a break, go to the refinery for a summer. And I liked it. I didn't have to think about addiction all the time every day. So I switched my career path to become a pipe fitter apprentice. Um, that took like nine months. Then <laughs> I get called into their office and they're like, yeah, we have a new background check. So your gate card's not going to work tomorrow. When you get off probation, you could come back because you'll be one point under. And I'm like, oh my God, I just set up eight months of my life switching my career to this and now it's not happening. So then I got on my pity pot for about two months and I'm debating on starting my own business, uh, taking a loan out on my Harley to buy this plasma table uh, to cut metal. And um, it was when COVID started and you had to take a number and go uh, social distance. So I'm out back looking at the Korean Memorial, World War II Memorial, and I start thinking about all my buddies I lost and uh, some locals that were killed in action. And I said to myself right there at the courthouse, if I pull the trigger on this plasma table and start metal tech, I'm going to build them a memorial that they deserve. So that's how Hoodies for Heroes came about. And then I was like, well, why don't I just design a shirt with and hoodies that have like their names on the back with yeah. the date they were killed in action in order to raise money for the memorial for the nonprofit. So since then, five and a half years since I've been out, I've been opiate free. Uh, I've started a successful metal fabrication business. I founded Hoodies for Heroes. I've been a human traffic in case manager at Tumbleweed, the runaway program. Um, so I guess the moral of the story is you don't have to be defined by your past or the bad things you've done. It's never too late to redevelop yourself. It's never a good time to stop developing yourself it's not a it's not an end game it's a it's a it's a full process and that is kind of a fairly brief synopsis on rick metal tech and hoodies for heroes i gotta tell you something rick you know when we zoom out and look at your whole story like that's what i like to do and you look at now you're just boldly pulling on the vapor vape shit i know right summer. So anyhow, it's like story's over. I'm good. But anyhow, yep. so the I made it. You know, <laughs> so the zoom out thing, right? Is like when you look at it and you look at your starts and stops, starts and stops, and the way that your attitude is about it is not it's you're not a victim. No. You know, like you see that throughout that whole story, that story is it's a bunch of synchronicities, like everything fits together. And that's what our lives are. And I think that we miss that, that we were talking about that stream, that flow. If you mm -hmm. allow and instead of resist, 
you know, all right. the things that are happening, like always knowing that this is happening for me and not to me. Like, what is the, mm. what is the good reason that this is happening? And, and there always is a good reason, right? Absolutely. Well, you can't look at those obstacles. You can either take it one or two ways. You can be the victim and poor me, or you could see the good in it. Like I wasn't supposed to go to prison. I wasn't supposed to go to prison for a year and a half. Everyone I tell that story to says, why don't you sue them? Why don't you get the money for the time? I'm like, I gave them the control and to come into my life by my actions, you know? Um, So it's taking those struggles and turning the perspective. What good did that come? What good came out of that? It made me more resilient. It made me not want to go back. It led me to the man I am now that wants to help others. And if telling my story or helping a veteran, if I could help one person, it makes all that worth it to me. You know what I picture? I picture you like, you know, it's like the visual I got. Like I picture you going into the the um, rehab, you know, for recovery and you're in there and you're getting, you, you know, getting, gaining momentum and then you get pulled out and then you're like, and it, and look what will happen. And then you go back to feel everything mm. that is the result of the drug addiction, right? Then you go back again. And it's just like, to me, like what a perfect way to really like get that depth of recovery. Right. Yes. It's freaking amazing. Like who could think of the better way. Right. And everyone's program like that. No kidding. (laughs) You know, when I, when I was in the treatment program, we went across our lifelines and you do every charge that you were ever, ever got uh, all the traumatic things that happened in your life. And when I was in treatment, it was to pick out the uh, thinking errors and your negative old core beliefs that were instilled in you, right? To recognize them so you could challenge them. Well, when I got out, I said, why not? Why don't we flip that? Why don't I go over that lifeline and look at all those things that I labeled as a negative? And I went back on my own time. And then I went through and I said, what did I gain from this? What was the good in this? How did it help mold me and create me into what I am today? And as soon as you do that, yeah, again, it's like that relief and that weight off of your shoulders. It's just, it's such a freeing one. You know what? And I can't stop having this conversation and I know we have to stop. I'm going to say one more thing. Am I like a last worder? Maybe I'm a last worder. Do it. All right. I'm going to do do it. it. (laughs) All right. So this is it. I just recently learned this thing. It's pretty recent. It was so obvious, but every time I see like, you know, like when we manifest things, like we create mm-hmm. things, right? So then you look at your life and you see like the stuff coming in to your life and you're like, wait a minute, what's in my life right now is whatever it is. Like maybe, maybe this is what we tend to look at what we don't want. So like, mm-hmm. oh, like this is not a good thing, whatever it is. But it, that gift right there, It when you see that and you say, oh, thank you. Thank right. you for showing me what I don't I need want. It. Now yes. let me look at, now let me in my mind create what I want at, because this shoots a rocket into right. the, the creation of what you want. And what yes. I found was, which I thought was interesting, I would manifest things into my life that were like parts of what I wanted, but not the whole. And what I realized is that, oh, it's because I don't feel worthy of this other part. I'm okay with these parts. These parts I know I can have. This part I don't feel worthy enough of. So then I had to work on me to become worthy of this other aspect, right? And I feel like um, that right there is such a gift. If we can just look at everything, it's like a big, it's it's a wonderful playground to create beauty, right? incredible i am so blessed to to have spoken to you and what we're gonna do um because i know we're gonna set up another one 
We are. We're going to speak again very quickly. There's going to be a, a second part to this because I feel like we have so much to say together. And I think yeah. that it'll be really, I'm just so grateful to know you. We are now fast friends, whether you like it or not. I think you're like one of my best friends. So um, <laughs> what does it say it. about me that meet people like on a screen and now we're best friends forever? But yes, we are. So I, I want to thank you so much. You can you tell everyone where they can find you? It will all be in the yes. notes, but tell Absolutely. them where they can find you. You mm-hmm. can find me at www.metaltechllc.com. And, and that will take you to me, my personal page, and you can even find my nonprofit hoodies for heroes from that. And you guys will see like the shit that he makes is really cool. I like, well, hey, I was like getting a little mesmerized watching you going, I'm like, <laughs> you got to get off Instagram. You got to go do something else. All right. Listen, I love you. Okay. I love you. And we'll talk soon. Well, I'm yes, going to, we'll, we'll talk, we'll text and we'll figure it out. Okay. Yes. Ma'am. Have All a good right. day. Thank you. I appreciate you. Appreciate Bye. it. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. I just want to say to you that we are all together a part of the mission, Mission Awake, a mission that's going to stop the mediocrity that's plaguing all of us. So if you got something here today, I ask that you would be a part of this mission and you'd share it with whoever you can. Take a screenshot of the show and share it on your Instagram. If you are looking for me, you can find me on social media platform, Instagram, Allison Answers or Logger Counseling Services. And give us a, a review and subscribe, if you could, to YouTube. Allison Answers. That's where you're going to get a lot of content. I drop stuff every day, goofy stuff, all different kinds of stuff. Five minute videos that just get you moving in your day. Have a great week. See you next time.